So we're on Romans 12, and we are on verse 14. We're actually almost through the chapter. Bless those who persecute you. And by the way, the context of this is up above. It talks about the different gifts and how we're to support one another. And then he talks about love, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And now we come to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is an empathy section. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm, I never realized that. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I always thought you were just supposed to live peaceably with all. But so far as it is possible, sometimes it's not possible to live Mine peaceably says, with all. In the New Life Translation, New Living Translation, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. doesn't mean everyone's going right, to be willing right. to... Right, that's how I take this. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. and, and it doesn't mean that you can always be nice to everybody. If there's a situation like we just talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I kind of got chastised by the pastor because I would often have her come over with her kids. Because I knew she kind of had a crush on him, you know, but I didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, lots of people have crushes on Darwin because people, we walk down the street and women will look at him and stare. And my girls will go, ew, that lady was checking dad out. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. <laughs> No, it's not a big deal, but he said, you know, you're, you can't be nice to her. You can't be her friend mm-hmm. because you're not protecting your home, you're not protecting your marriage, and you also have a responsibility besides Darwin. To and, and more than that, it's not fair to her. It's leading the other oh, person on, yeah, mm-hmm. playing their game with them. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it wasn't possible. No, it wasn't possible to be nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I don't think Paul is talking here about being nice. <laughs> He's talking about not doing harm and living in peace. In other words, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything to you that would hurt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to uh, where someone is trespassing and crossing boundaries and mm-hmm. being completely inappropriate, then there has to be something very clearly stated and and enforced. Mm-hmm. So I, I like this verse. <laughs> Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Is vengeance and wrath the same? Not quite. Wrath is anger. Yeah. Just and vengeance is like getting back. And vengeance is getting even. So, Repaying kind for kind. Vengeance is mine. Is that like something? Well, it says says the Lord. I don't know why it's in all caps in this le- in this Bible when it says vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. Do you know what the meaning of that would be? 
It's a quotation from the Old Testament. That's why it's in caps. Oh. I think your version uh, cap puts things in caps okay. that are quotations from the Old Testament, so you know that. I think I like where it says like leave room for the wrath of God, like leave that space. Um, yeah, and then we need to understand what is God's wrath and what is yeah. He going to do, and what is the vengeance. It, so. it, it's not our vengeance. It's not our kind of wrath. Oh, it's God's right. kind of wrath. So what is? So it, Romans, if you take the same book, yeah. Romans one, uh, he gives them up, he lets right. them go. It's, it's a little, it's it's quite different than our kind of wrath, where we want God to nuke him. Right. <laughs> but yet, that's why I asked about the word vengeance. You know. Yeah, and how, vengeance is God's kind of vengeance. What does that mean? I think his kind of vengeance is what follows. No. <laughs> no, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Keep coals of fire on their heads. That's exactly what it says. Give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on your heads. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. I I can never yeah. for, read that, think of Uncle Arthur's bedtime story uh, about, about the little boy who comes home from school just furious with his classmate. He's always doing mean things. He picks on me, he hits me, he pushes me down in the mud, he, you know, he's just very furious. And um, his dad says, I'll tell you, he says, I just want to beat him up. I want to, I want to really give it back to him. And his dad says, well, I have a better idea. You know, there's, the Bible tells you how to deal with him, and it really works. And so he read him this verse. And he says, you'll, you'll, you'll just burn him up. So, little boy goes back to school, and he meets Lionel on the way. I think the name of the kid was Lionel. He meets Lionel on the way, and, and Lionel sees he's carrying a lunch and says, Oh, lucky you, I didn't get any breakfast, and I don't have any lunch. And he says, Well, I'll share my lunch with you. And so he brings out a half a sandwich and something else, and, and he hands it to Lionel. Lionel says, You don't mean it. He said, yeah, I do. And then uh, he invites, the kid invites him to play with him at, at recess time and, and so on. It goes like this all through the day, and they become friends <laughs> at the end of the day. And he comes home, and his dad says, so how did it go today with Lionel? He says, well, I, I, I won, Dad. I, I, I burned him all up. <laughs> <laughs> You will heat burning coals on their heads. Isn't that something that a person who is at enmity with another, when they sh- are shown kindness, it actually tortures them, mm-hmm. in a sense, with remorse, usually. And some people can take that and others can't. Because I would think it would be either response, either they became friends... Or, or they would run away in the end of the relationship more or mad, something. Like they can't handle it. You yeah, know, like that whole thing of, you know, go back and that's, to I think that's I think that's rarer. I think yeah. it's gonna get more common, but I think it's still yeah. a bit rarer than the becoming friends or at least leaving a person mm-hmm. alone and not doing it. Well not being to able anymore. to accept the grace or the, the kindness. And I guess I just say that because I had a client where that was she was torturing herself even more because she couldn't accept that she got forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so she was torturing herself. Mm-hmm. And 
it was very difficult for her to accept. And it's too thinking, humbling. Yeah, you ha- it's a humbling thing to accept forgiveness when you it really is. know you've messed up. It is. That's one of the hardest things is forgiving yourself, forgive people, right. forgive themselves. And we um, want to punish ourselves for something. Right, and so we. It feels good. It, it, yeah, we, we have a little bit of. Kind of we I was, there was something else I was thinking of, but I'm, I slipped my mind, so we'll move on. <laughs> Do not be overcome by evil, <laughs> but overcome evil with good. Mm-hmm. I think what's hard with that, also with us, is that it doesn't necessarily happen in a day. Right. No. It can be years, or it can be a long time, mm-hmm. or, you know, and so I think that's what makes it hard. Mm-hmm. Well, and when I look at people in my life, myself, my children, others, when somebody does wrong to you, you want to somehow win. Mm-hmm. And so to do, don't doing evil or maybe praying for them or whatever it is, it's hard because it's like, well, then I lose. If I give in and if I'm nice to them, they win, I lose. And it's trying to change our attitude of, no, it's it's a win it's when we really win. lose, if you want to say that. I had a situation in elementary school. It developed in third grade when my teacher told the two classrooms, or third and fourth grade together, told the whole the whole classroom that every time I made ninety eight percent or a hundred percent, she would tell the students that I now may had made a hundred percent and ninety eight percent. The unfortunate thing was I made that kind of score almost every day, <laughs> and it drove it drove a wedge between me and the other girls. Not that we were really that close to begin with, but it really made them mad. And at one point she caught them cheating on a social studies test because, and when she asked them why they cheated, they said, because we want to get a better grade than Jean. <laughs> and so I, I had that to deal with, and when they got into fifth and sixth grade, they knew they were going to have my mother as a teacher, and they figured they could get away with murder. So they announced, they got together before the school year began. They were a very close-knit group, and they decided they were going to give me hell. And that got back to the third and fourth grade teacher who told my mom they were good friends. They said this is what they said they're going to do. Well, the teachers all had uh, devotions uh, before school started, and... So we were often left in the classroom alone, and that's when they liked to pick on me. And they would move my desk all around the room, making me look like an idiot and, and things like that. And I would just smile at them. I, I, was, I was not going to fight back. I was not going to tell them off. I, was, I just was going to be nice. They did that kind of thing for the whole school year. My mother nearly put me in public school. She even tried to. That's another story. So at the end of that year, there was a... Youth, what did they call it? MV meeting mm-hmm. <laughs> at Lowerwood Academy, and I saw this uh, this group, part of this group, sitting down near the begin near the front of the chapel, and I thought I'll, s- and I just thought you know, I'd like to sit with them, 
You know, I have I wasn't holding anything against them really. I kind of knew what had brought it on. And so I went down and I said to Carla, who was sitting near just the end, there was an empty seat beside her. I said, May I sit here? She says, Oh no, no, Connie's gonna come and, and she'll need to sit there. And and I said, Okay. No, I'm just teasing. This is the kind of thing they did all the time. I'm just teasing. I said, no, that's okay. Normally, I would have sat down. But I thought probably Connie was coming. And that, you know, she was closer to them than I. So therefore, and I was tired of taking that from them. And so I just said, no, that's okay. And I went and sat in the back. They stopped heckling me. Then they ignored me. They couldn't handle yeah. my giving them their way. You know, Gina, it really is true that uh, if, if you can't fight back against someone who mm-hmm. is absorbing and not resisting, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, it kind of implodes it. You kind of maybe try to explain. It's going to implode. Dr. David Burns, mm-hmm. we had him for a week here. And, yeah, when way did back. You do that? Yeah. Oh, that must and, have been amazing. I don't want to be able to watch him do therapy for like ten years. He's, you know. Yeah. And one of the things he was teaching us is how to do this imploding. The disarming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and some of the attacks you say, Well, Gene, I don't like this. Well, if you knew me, I'm a lot worse than that. You know, he would he would go through the exaggeration and it just Totally disarms the I've seen that enacted on, on Facebook, actually. Uh, there's a posting of a guy, and I don't think it's David Burns. It's somebody that's probably learned from him, um, who tells somebody to t- treat him really mean, you know, and then he'll play this out. And, and it really throws the other person a curve. They can't, they can't deal with it. And, and it happens with our kids. It happened with me yesterday. We're, we're just coming out. They've gone out to eat, they've been over to read this stuff. And, uh, and my daughter called from Bali, all wound up about some sibling family thing. Just, and then she's built up, and she's the one that's way away, doesn't have any of the contents. <laughs> so, so you just have to sit there, and she, to get her to wind down and to absorb all that, and finally get her to calm down. But if you're reactive, trying to defend it, it'll yeah, it just builds, quite. yeah. <laughs> Well, I have a question for you. Paul leaves it open-ended for the reader to decide what God's vengeance is and what his wrath is. Mm -hmm. But Paul has already explained what his wrath is. And his vengeance, um, I believe, is explained in chapter 3. If I'm not wrong, actually chapter 2. I think this would be his vengeance. But by your hard... Well, I'm I'm in chapter 2... Let's look at verse 2. You say, we know that God's judgment is on those who does it. Oh, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance uh, and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath in yourself, which is how I read the Greek, in yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteousness, righteous judgment will be revealed, for he will repay according to each one's deeds. What's the Greek word for vengeance that they translate? We translate it vengeance. 
I know what the Hebrew word is, and, and Paul's probably thinking probably Hebrew, nakam is the Hebrew word, and it means, has a variety of meanings. It mean, can mean, I think, to console oneself. And so when Esau consoled himself by deciding to kill his brother, that's vengeance. So he, he consoled himself, in other words, he... he took heart that he was going to kill his brother and that would be done with it and he'd get, he'd get what he wanted. So it's, it's a way of consoling himself. Hmm. Well, but that's it, why people do it. They think they're going to yeah. feel so much better if they, yeah. if they yeah. retaliate against someone yeah. you know, if, to get their revenge. A good, by the way, a good book to read on this passage in uh, Romans 12, a good book to read is Forgiving the Dead Man Walking. It's by Debbie Morris, and I don't know if you've read uh, Sister Prajan's book, *The Dead Man Walking*. This is this is an old old story. We had uh, Prajan come and do a colloquy some years ago, but she took on an inmate. An inmate wrote a letter to the priest, who gave it to her that he wanted someone to come, and for his soul, and in jail. He was in jail. And he was in jail for having murdered a girl. Yeah, having murdered a girl and having raped an, another girl or something like that. Actually, what he had done, I don't remember if Prejean is true to the details of that story, but what, he, what I know is that this, this murderer and a friend of his had abducted a boy and girlfriend to, uh, to a couple. That were down by the river, having an interest, having just a time with themselves at, at Saturday night. They abducted them in the car and they drove them across the state line from Louisiana to Alabama, and they took the guy and shot him in the back of the head and left him for dead. And then they took the girl and they drove all around, and that girl was Debbie Morris. They had already killed another girl, Holloway, I think, or Hathaway, I can't remember. But um, they had killed her after I think after raping her. So this Debbie Morris is in the back seat of their car while they're driving around, and she decides to try to find some humanness in them, and so she starts asking them questions about where they grew up and and, and their home life and and things like that, trying to get trying to get some humanness out of them to reach in and, and develop a kind of relationship with them. Meanwhile, they're taking turns raping her in the back seat is in between driving around. Or one would rape her and the other drive. And they finally stop at a shack, and she everything changes. It's like it gets really dark, and, and there's just evil palpable in the air, and she thinks, I'm going to die. I'm just going to die. And then something changed. And they put her back in the car, drive back over the state line into Louisiana to the hometown where her uncle lives. And just feet from her house drops her off. Or feet, feet from her uncle's house, they drop her off. She went through terrible things after that, just alcoholism and feeling suicidal and everything. And, and she was able to lead the police to where her boyfriend was, and he was still alive. 
but his brain was not the same. And so she had to break up with him, and she just went through hell afterwards. The Holloways, I think that actually was their name, the Holloways wanted justice. They, w- they ate, slept, and drank justice. They wanted the, bo- the men who killed their daughter to be put to death, and they went to every hearing for every capital case in the courts trying to plead that they'd be put to death. And it became an obsession, and they would call Debbie and say, would you come with us? You know, you, we got to deal with this. we just got to deal with this. And Are you saying they were doing this for people that weren't even related to their crime? It seems to me that's what they were doing. Okay. Yeah. They were lobbying, at least. They would go to the courthouse and lobby in front on the front of the steps. So they, they would beg Debbie to go with them, and she would say, no, no, I'm not interested. Because she had, meanwhile, found God. She had gotten married to a very lovely man, had a very lovely family, was teaching uh, uh, special needs children, or children at risk, that was it, children at risk. And she was just really appreciating the forgiveness of God. She had forgiven this man. She She did convict him. She did help to convict him, but she had forgiven him. And she wasn't interested in even going to see him put to death, which he was. Um, And she said, you know, the thing she noticed about the Holloways is that they were never happy. They They never found closure, even though the person who put their child to death was put to death. They never felt satisfied. And she said, we sing the song... We don't sing the song, Amazing Justice. <laughs> we sing the song, Amazing Grace. And she said, um, getting justice did nothing to heal my wounds. Forgiveness did. It's a powerful book. And she, she tells her story in that book without drama. And it's amazing how she does it. Uh, she just tells it as it happened. Factually. Factually. Uh, and it's, it's just an incredibly powerful witness to the power of forgiveness. Yeah, I don't think there's anything more powerful for healing. There's uh, one thing I know most of our counselors are training was humanistic. There was nothing. When I was a, went to work for Ms. Meyer and they were my supervisors and they taught a spiritual clinical approach to, to do forgiveness and how to incorporate that clinically. There's nothing even touches it in humanistic psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. It just uh, well, it's now practically humanistic psychotherapy has taken actually, it on. Yeah, they're actually, they're actually promoting moving back to that. One mm-hmm. of the examples it was just you know Daryl Bigger, Doctor Bigger. Yes, I've read the book. And just um, I remember a time uh, to forgive. First time I heard. Well, I just thought he was a, just been talking to him recently, but to to walk through that journey when his daughter got murdered. And here he's a minister, he's a psychologist, and cannot let go of that anger and pain and, you know, revenge. <laughs> and 
you know, all those tools that we often like we've gathered academically and have to go back to that deep spiritual place to give that. To me, it's a gift. God gives you just like he gives you grace. Oh, absolutely. It's I'm, a gift of forgiveness. I teach that to my students that we cannot forgive on our own. No. It is no. something God has to do through us. Um, and I, I think of the story of Carrie Ten Boom on that fact. Remember, she went to that church, and that SS officer that had watched her and watched her sister Betsy walk across naked in front of all those officers was uh, came up to her afterwards and shook her hand. Said, "Isn't God's grace wonderful?" And she couldn't shake his hand. She just stood there, stood there frozen. <laughs> and God enabled her to do yeah, that yeah, and to forgive so. that officer. Well, it's to have to well, to be able to forgive. There's that like death to self part, yeah, that's right? Really true. And when you think about it, like I was just what, the image that came to my mind. I was like, wow, that's what Jesus did. You know, death, literal death to himself, along with when he was on the cross, um, showing us that. And that's when he said, "Forgive the, the like God, Father, forgive them." Right? And so that was the example of. And yet, what does that mean in our lives to have death to self? Dr. Burns talks a lot about that too. Yeah. Uh, death of the ego is what he says, yeah. but but it's but it's but it's, but it's, it is <laughs> but it is death to self, and so it's really letting go. I'll, I'll tell you how yeah. I've I've done it one time when I I had uh, for a previous situation of being stalked by my cousin, who had wanted to marry me and proposed to me at the Sebastopol Church, but that's another story. <laughs> Um, he became a monster in my head, you know, just just bad, evil, far more evil than he served. And one um, one day, I had this imagination in my head of standing on the back porch with him in front of me and shooting him in the head. And and it, it was it really took me back because it was a fleeting thing. It was not something I'm premeditated. It, it was it was just there, and I was like, oh no, he's really got me now. <laughs> I told this in class in my ethics class one time, and I worded it so that it sounded like I actually shot him. <laughs> my students were like, Doctor Shallon. <laughs> One of my more embarrassing moments. <laughs> anyway, um, I knew I knew I had to forgive him, and I didn't want to. I absolutely did not want to. And I I remember picking up my Bible and, I, and leafing through it, trying to find an excuse not to forgive him. <laughs> That's how desperate I was. And I didn't find anything. I mean, all the text started coming to my mind about forgiveness and, and about loving your enemies. And, and finally I closed my Bible and I said, God, I can't forgive him. If you, if you want me to forgive him, you're going to have to forgive him through me. I can't forgive him. And it was like God shrunk his, this big monster in, yeah. in my head mm-hmm. down to this little, little person, little tiny person. And he put arms of fire around him. I get, see this in my mind's eye, this, these, like a ring of fire around him. And he said, he's my son. I love wow. him. Wow. And through the eyes of God, yeah. I was able 
to do that. And I, I remember taking the most terrifying journey in my imagination that I had. And because my, my cousin had gotten in but the wrong crowd, and the only thing I could figure out from what I was experiencing was that he got involved with Satanists. But through the eyes of God, I took the most frightening journey I could take. And that band of fear that trapped me was broken. Perfect love casts out fear. Absolutely. And, and I, I've, I never had that fear again. That's the most beautiful thing to experience or to see happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I'm thinking one of my clients in Spokane that worked for Costco, and, and we had this, I'm taking her through a couple layers of this forgiveness. I remember coming back, coming back, and she said, I'm so mad at you. She says, you know, and I always say, call me up when the healing happens so we can celebrate it. Thank God for what he's done, the gift that he's given you. She says, now I don't have any reason to divorce him, and I have da da da. She's going to go with me in this whole list because he's just taking it out. And he does. He just kind of takes it out. Okay. And to me, it's kind of an extraction. It isn't like in, in therapy, we usually spread it out real thin so you can function. But he does kind of an extraction. He just takes out the anger and the pain. And but fear. for me, he's done it through love. I mean, it's like yeah, love yeah. just soaks it in and, and destroys it. Yeah, yeah, it just implodes it. Yeah, it just yeah, melts it, just, it, it just melts it away. Mm-hmm. And, and now what I have a, a three-step thing I use when I need to forgive someone. First of all, to immerse myself in thinking how much God loves me. Mm-hmm. You have to have that. Because I've, I've found I can't forgive someone unless I love them. I have to love them first. So, first of all, how much God loves me. And then how much God loves that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and think about that until I'm... Fully, fully immersed in that love for that person, mm-hmm. and then it's the next step is easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what does this have to do with atonement and salvation? Mm-hmm. In three minutes. Hmm. <laughs> well, it seems like, well, I don't know. He's trying to get us maybe into a place of where to experience. Atonement, okay. At one minute, because this is God's, yeah. God's this is God's to, forgiveness, really working in through us. So he, he's he's uh, enabling us to experience atonement on the person to person level. Uh, can you think of a story in the Old Testament that illustrates that? What about Jacob and Esau? Mm-hmm. Um, that if you take a Hebrew reading of the story of the night of wrestling. Uh, the word face is highlighted. Uh, he hopes to, he sends all the presents, all the gifts ahead of him and refers to Esau as his overlord so that uh, and the presents are his tribute, so that he's rescinding his birthright and his blessing. He's giving it back to Esau. That's what a lot of people don't know is going on in that story. But the language is, is treaty language. It is saying, oh, you are now my overlord, I am your servant, and here I'm, here's my tribute. Uh, to you for all the years I was gone and he hopes by that to appease Esau I mean yeah to appease Esau and the wording is to uh, lift up to um, cover the face or to wipe wipe off the face that's appeasement Mm -hmm. 
wipe the anger off the face. He hopes to do that so that Esau will lift up his face, that is, forgive him. And then he has this night of wrestling and, and God humbles him and he realizes that God's face is not the same as Esau's face. He is the face of forgiveness and that Jacob is forgiven. And so he goes limping his way to meet Esau and he sees uh, him coming. And Esau runs and braces him and forgives him. And the story ends with Jacob saying, I have now seen your face right. as the face of God. That's right. The one month, the at one month with God and the at one month with Esau is complete. It's a full circle. What we're dealing with is, is atonement that way, which means to have full reconciliation, right? What about salvation? It says that Jesus came to free, to save us from our sins. Is it one of our biggest sins? our unwillingness to forgive and to love. And it's usually rooted in pride. And which mm-hmm. creates opposite of at one minute. Yeah. So so by by giving us his love, by by heaping coals of fire on us, as it were, by showing us his forgiveness and, and, and enabling us to forgive, uh, God is healing us from sin. Because, in a sense, he's forgiving our sins all over again when we do that. That's forgive us our sins as we forgive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our, our debtors. Mm-hmm. And it's that goodness of God that brings us to that humility. Right, right. Like you were saying, that right. before we forgive, we got to yeah. connect with that. Oh, it's good. So Ellen White says it's not that we. She doesn't say that it's that we have to be that we have to forgive in order to be forgiven. She's saying that we have to accept the forgiveness of God for us before we can be forgiven. Before we can forgive and before others. we can forgive others. Yeah, thank you. Because it's actually impossible. Yeah, it is impossible. Yeah. So she turns that around and talks to the Mount of Blessing. We must forgive. We must accept God's forgiveness for us before we can forgive our brothers. And I think that's what I've done in, in thinking about how God loves me because I'm not worthy of God's love from the human perspective. I, I'm needy of it. That's all I have is my claim to need. Um, so. Now that's really true, Jean. As a young Bible teacher, you know, it, it was rough for me starting out in this junior and senior high school kids. I finally realized the total before we to, to love these rebellious kids that you know give you trouble every day. <laughs> and it was the late early eighties and they were it was just a tough time for kids. But it was total proportion to my seeing my unworthiness before God. You know, that we in that that kneeling posture before God was totally correlated how I could how I could love and accept and relate to those kids. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, for us to experience that forgiveness or that unworthiness or how we we don't have any rights to have that. So no. why am I sitting in judgment and thinking you're better than this other person or this person is really not responding appropriately? 
Yeah. And I, I feel that there's there's layers of that to, to unpack, but I haven't been able to do that yet. My finite man, mind is still working. That's always a struggle. I think. Yeah. yeah. So with that, we have conquered Chapter 12. We're now going re- <laughs> to move into more about love, but also about authority and, we'll, and some problem passages in Chapter 13. So stay tuned. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Father, we we thank you for what Paul has shown us in Romans, what you have shown us through Paul. We ask that we might be able to implement it and understand it in our lives and really fully uh, apply it. We can only do that through your grace, through your love, through your compassion. So we pray for that to minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen.